the peacock, uh, practically speaking, is used as kind of a guard animal. They eat poisonous spiders and snakes. It is the poison itself that is broken down and transformed that turns into the iridescent beauty of the feathers of the peacock. Hey everyone, and welcome to the podcast. We're here to give you a little intro uh, sneak peek. This is an excerpt between myself, Jonah P. Overton, host of Jonah and the Peacock, and Derek Scott III, who is a colleague and uh, one of the producers of the podcast. We are talking in this clip about how the peacock became a central image for me in my trauma work, in transforming toxic theology, and in having faith that the things of Christianity, especially scripture, which had been used to harm um, and oppress me and so many people I loved, could actually be reclaimed, could actually be uh, transformed back into the gift that they were intended to be. even when we've encountered them first and foremost as as abusive or weapons or uh, tools of harm. And so in light of that, then we dive into one of my favorite scriptures, the story of my namesake Jonah and his encounter with the whale. Um, We start with actually how I first encountered that story, which was a very conventional telling that I think is really toxic and and causes a lot of harm in the ways that I um, connected with that, identified with that, internalized that. But then over the years of my own healing, as I was um, getting deeper into my recovery from trauma, my recovery from substance abuse, how that interpretation has been transformed for me, how I've continued to heal personally and also in my relationship to the story of Jonah and how I understand the text now from a liberated lens. So I hope you love it and get a sense of what we're up to this season with Jonah and the Peacock. We will have all kinds of guests this season bringing their own perspectives, their own encounters and re-encounters with the liberating work of storytelling scripture. Oh my gosh. Okay. So tell us about Jonah. Actually, no, tell us about the peacock first and then tell us about your connection to Jonah. Yeah. So the peacock, I love this. So all that trauma that I was trying to suppress when I was an adolescent, it didn't go away when I found Jesus. I had different and better coping skills. I've been clean now for 15, 16 years, I, I lose track. Um, but, uh, but I needed to find other supports and I did need to heal that trauma. And I've been doing that healing work for a long time, actually more intensively the last couple of years. And interestingly, it's been a lot of that same visualization and prayer, um, but through a, um, a trauma-informed like therapy setting. Hmm. And... And it's been incredible. And one of the things that has come up for me in that imagery is the peacock. And I, you know, because I'll sometimes, part part of this healing work, it's so wild. Um, uh, the, The thing that has been most helpful to me is called CRM, the Comprehensive Resource Model. But it is, um, did you ever see Fight Club? And there's like Uh the power animal. And they're very Uh much making fun of it in that book and movie. But... Um, but it actually is, it's a pretty, um, 
profound technique, which is to, to bring, CRM would describe it differently, but I think it's bringing God into the space, but in a way that feels uh-huh. more accessible. And so you have, you have an animal that you kind of visualize and imagine connecting with. And so I brought God into these spaces and I was always like, what's, what's the animal? What's the God, who are you sending me? And God sent me the peacock. And I was like, this is just not, this feels very left field to me. This is not what I would have imagined. Um, but I started researching and trying to learn what the peacock is about. And it turns out there's a bunch of beautiful mythology from all kinds of cultures around the peacock. Um, but especially in Buddhism and India, the, the peacock, uh, practically speaking, is used as kind of a guard animal. So if you have, if you, you know, I think of it as this really fancy, you know, regal animal because peacocks are so beautiful. Um, but if you have a home and you can have peacocks just like roaming around, the reason, the main reason is actually because they eat poisonous spiders and snakes. And so they protect the household from these poisonous animals. And, and the reason the peacock is able to do that is because it has a unique digestive system that is capable not only of resisting the poison in those animals, which would kill other animals, but of actually breaking it down and transforming it into nourishment, into food. And there's a lot of incredible mythology about the peacock and how they're able to do that and and survive these toxins. But one of the key pieces is to say essentially that it is the poison itself that is broken down and transformed that turns into the iridescent beauty of the feathers of the peacock. And that the the peacock is so beautiful and so regal and so unique because of that transformative work of taking toxic poisonous um, material and transforming it into something uniquely beautiful. And I, I read that. I'm like sitting there reading that going, oh my gosh, this is what you want for us, God. This is what you want for us. You are telling us, you're telling all the trauma babies that we are peacocks and that you have given us everything we need in the Holy Spirit to digest, to break down, to transform the poison of our lives, the toxic interpretations of the world around us, the evils of oppression, to break it down and transform it into something uniquely beautiful and emerge on the other side, proud and and perfect in your eyes. And... That felt like such a gift that, that God was saying, I am this and I am in you and we are in this together. And this thing that you think is going to kill you, you can break it down. You can transform it and emerge on the other side uniquely beautiful. So that's the peacock. And I, and I love it. I just want a black church shout right now. Like all I really <laughs> want to do is yes, just please. like, hey! Oh man! Oh, okay. Tell us about Jonah. Yeah. 
Well, and so, yeah, so the peacock is really a symbol for me of transforming trauma. Um, but it's also the, the tool that I bring to bear when I'm engaging scriptures that have been turned into toxic sludge, because I think that the world abuses the word of God and uses it to abuse mm. God's people. And so we can yeah. transform those toxins into something nourishing and come out more beautiful than we could have imagined. So that's, that's my guiding frame on the peacock. Jonah is my name. Um, it was not always my name. It was the name that I, it was my true name that I discovered um, along with my coming of age. And interestingly, I, I had the name Jonah and I knew the name Jonah before I could say out loud that I was trans. Um, uh-huh. my, my, the name given to me at birth, thank you mom and dad, never fit. They knew it. I knew it. We all knew it. I went by nicknames um, and eventually I discovered Jonah. And it, it emerged actually while I was still in that early period of, of being clean. I think I had been clean for less than a year when I gave this like really, I was a part of a retreat weekend um, of people pursuing God. And, and it was a storytelling experience first and foremost. And they asked me to give the prodigal son story. Um, and it was a way of engaging the prodigal uh, and, and the story of leaving home and coming back um, from one's own narrative. And I, as I was writing and preparing to give this testimony of my own journey away from God and back, I realized that the story I actually connected more to was the story of Jonah. Oh. And at that time, it was this idea... Well, and I'll just, I'll summarize, I'll summarize Jonah real quickly. It's a short book. It's one of our earliest stories. It's definitely a metaphor and an allegory, um, in my opinion. I think trying to take it literally is, is not doing us a whole lot of good. But Jonah, um, Jonah is a person who has been called on by God to preach the gospel to, uh, to the people of Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria. And we'll get into it in a little bit why that's so complicated, but he, what we learn right away is he doesn't want to do it. So he's like, yeah, sure, God, no, cool, I'm totally headed to Nineveh, give me five, and then like runs in the opposite direction. So he, he gets to the shore, like he goes so far, he runs out of land. And he's like, yeah, I'd like to keep going away from this. Uh, I'm gonna hop in a boat. So he gets passage on a boat, and the boat is going, and, and the waves are enormous, and all of a sudden it's storming, and it's storming, and everybody on the boat is like, something is wrong. Like, somebody pissed off God. This is not okay. Um, we're going we're gonna to draw straws and see who gets the shortest straw. We're going to throw them over the boat, because that's the only way to appease God. Something bad is going on here. And Jonah actually kind of admits, like, hey, guys, I kind of know it's me. And they're like, just draw straws. And he draws the short straw, and they're like, okay, it's you. Bye. (laughs) And throw him overboard. So Jonah is sinking into the depths of the ocean. And in the midst of this, Jonah thinks he's going to die. He's like, this is the end. The seaweed is wrapping around my legs. I am being pulled into the depths when along comes Uh, sent by God for Jonah's rescue, a big fish. And this massive fish swallows him up and he sits in the belly of this fish for three days while the fish is is swimming around. And that's where we get this beautiful prayer from Jonah 
describing what it means to be rescued from the depths of the ocean by, by God. And Jonah is like, you're right, God. I will do, I will do what you're asking of me. Um, thank you for rescuing me. And the fish emerges on the shore and vomits Jonah out, covered in you know, fish bile and seaweed and whatever. And he makes for Nineveh. And he goes to Nineveh, he starts preaching the good word and the good news and the news of repentance and forgiveness. And people listen. Like, I don't know if Jonah's just like a really good preacher or if the people of Nineveh were really primed, but like he basically shows up to the town square, says, y'all messed up, you better fix it. And immediately the entire city does. <laughs> and, and so God says, all right, you guys are in my good graces again. You know, I feel your repentance. I accept it. We're good. And Jonah is pissed. So Jonah, mad about his successful mission, marches out of the gates and sits outside the city and is basically like, God, I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were a forgiving God. I didn't want to be involved in this. Now you have forgiven Nineveh and, and I'm pissed. And so God springs up this tree, this little bush almost, to, to give Jonah shade. And Jonah's like, oh, this is really nice. And then God causes that shade to wither. And Jonah's like, I should just die right now. <laughs> Jonah is drama. This is one of the things I connected to. Jonah is real drama. And God's like, so, hey, the tree's a metaphor. I'm trying to teach you a lesson. Like, it's my tree. I sprung it up. I took it away. What are you going to do about it? And, like, can you get on board? And that's where the story ends, with Jonah just, like, pouting in the desert, not able to get on board. So... When I was in my early 20s and recovering from heroin and trying to find my way back to God, this is what I connected to. And most of all, I connected to Jonah chapter 2, which is the prayer that Jonah prays from the belly um, of like, I, was, I felt death coming for me and you sent something to save me. But one of the toxic interpretations of the scripture that I held on to at the very beginning was basically that God was trying to coerce me to do something. And I felt at the time, God has a call on my life. I don't really want to be alive anymore because it's really painful, but if I'm still alive, it must be for God's purposes. And I have been running away and denying that, but the only way, the only way through this is to just do it. So I better accomplish my purpose for God. I better find my Nineveh. And then maybe I can throw in the towel after that. But in the early days of connecting to this story, I really thought that God was a God who might coerce us into doing God's will. And I thought, surely this is for my own good, but it was still very much a God's going to corner me, God's going to not let me run away. And in the years since, I've realized that that's actually a pretty toxic interpretation of an abusive, bullying God who pursues us not for our own well-being, but for God's gain and God's purposes, who uses us like pawns and will harm us if we don't. Uh -huh. um, uh -huh. But over time, taking that peacock lens and saying, you know, what is this? What's really here? How do we break it down? 
one of the first things that really changed it for me was reading um, Miguel de la Torre. Did has a great book on Jonah. He's a great theologian in general and biblical scholar. And uh, and he was the first to really bring to my attention that Jonah had a lot of good reasons for not wanting to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, which was oppressing Jonah and Jonah's people. And so God was asking Jonah to go to his oppressors, go to the very people harming him at the capital, at the center of that uh, mechanism of, of oppression and evil, and ask them to repent so that God might forgive them. And Jonah didn't want to do that. Jonah didn't want to be a part of the salvation of his oppressors. Jonah didn't want to be a part of, of, of God granting forgiveness to the people who had harmed and killed his own people. And I understood that. And I understood that there were, there were so many people who understood that even more than me at a fundamental level. That like, no. we, we don't want to be a part of, of salvation for all. It is a lot easier to be a part of salvation for me and mine especially if you're connecting to other oppressed people. But like this is, this is us saying, you know, I do need to go to those spaces who have caused the most harm and invite them to repentance in order that they may be forgiven and welcomed back into the family of God with me. That is dangerous and painful. And why would you make me do that, God? Mm-hmm. And so when I think about what it means for me as somebody who survived childhood abuse. What I think about for me as somebody who has been uh, bullied and pushed and coerced into the very back corners of my closet, what I think about it for, uh, when I think about it for my community and for so many people I love who have been victims of systemic racism and ableism and cruelty and evil, and that God might be at some level asking each of us to bring a message of liberation and salvation to the very people who have harmed us our entire lives. Mm. That's hard. (laughs) And I understand Jonah and I understand why he's pouting. and I understand why he's mad and I understand why he's like, I'm going to bounce because I want nothing to do with this. Mm. But I also understand why running from that task, why running from forgiveness can root the pain more deeply inside of me. Hmm. That running from God in that moment is also about anchoring um, the pain and abuse into my body and saying, I refuse to let this go. I refuse Hmm. to, to invite salvation into this because it might mean salvation for, for my abusers. And, and so running from that, at that level, paired with this memory that I had that, that when I was doing heroin, I was running from life itself and from the spirit of God because it was too painful because I might have to confront some of these things. I saw that my whole journey really had been, a, you know, a beeline for Tarsus, a, 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 a journey away from the Nineveh God had called me to because it was too scary and too painful. And I think that when I engage the text, we do have to take some liberties to understand in a meaningful way. And the the folks that wrote it are very clear that the storm 
in the sea was caused by God. But I, I'm just going to disagree with them on that one. Because I think that the trauma and turmoil and pain and terror of running from one's call, from one's being, running from God, running from forgiveness and salvation and liberation is, is the storm that can kill you, invites all of that in. And I don't think that that's God's will for us. I think it is something that happens, something that's in the world. And, and so when you find yourself in the depths of the ocean and the only thing left for you is to surrender to death or to cry out to God, and you can't cry out to God because your lungs are full of water, and God sends a fish to come scoop you up it is just because of God's relentless love that says, I see, I see that you're running. I'm coming for you. And that's not a threat. That's a rescue mission. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, and it might take until your body is limp uh, at the bottom of the ocean for God to, to get your permission to scoop you up and take you home. And that's what uh-huh. it took for me. I was literally dying. I almost died a couple of times. And God scooped me up and, and allowed me to sit in that space for a little while and just pray and try and make sense of it and reconnect. And then spit me back out on land covered in fish bile and seaweed and offered me a path back to the person I was created to be. And... And there are times that it went marvelously. (laughs) And there are times when I got pouty and weird. But that invitation back to the self is what God has always wanted for us. And it can be incredibly healing. And it can be hard. And we can learn from Jonah's bad attitude and try and do better. But we can also know that God is going to love Jonah and work through Jonah and keep speaking to Jonah, even as he's pouting in the sun, a few steps from his call. That's what I got. Jonah, thank you for sharing so beautifully. And I think that this podcast, Jonah and the Peacock, is going to be an opportunity for many of us to share the ways in which Scripture has affirmed us, challenged us, and brought the best out of us, even as the world has tried to use it to erase and destroy us. And um, I'm grateful for your courage to open this conversation. Um, And so I'm looking forward to all of the ways that we're going to hear stories of folk who are just trying to live out this following Jesus thing in the ways that are most authentic um, and that are holding together all of the pieces as best as possible so that we all uh, find liberation together. And I, I think that that's, for me, that's some of the things that I'm thinking about as I even reflect on that story of Jonah, this sense that your liberation is caught up in my liberation and I can't get unstuck until I speak truth to you that helps you get unstuck. Um, 
you know, and uh, so again, thank you for facilitating this conversation. Um, I think people are going to be quite blessed um, by this podcast series, Jonah and the Peacock. I hope so. I think the power of storytelling is one of the fundamental spiritual gifts that God gave to God's people. And uh, that the beauty of story and the danger of story is that it can be told in any number of ways. But that if we keep telling the stories over and over again with new truths and new insight and from new perspectives, we will get closer to God and we will heal um, from the wounds that are self-inflicted and generational. And I, I, I believe in us as a people to emerge with those beautiful iridescent feathers, I do. Thanks for listening to this episode of Jonah and the Peacock. We hope you enjoyed it. This show is presented by The Liberation Project and produced by Wesley's Revival.